and welcome to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. I'm your reader, Janet Griffith. We'll start on today's first page. The main headline reads, Reynolds widens proposal for school choice law. Governor calls for spending nearly $107 million on it in the first year. By Tom Barton and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette Des Moines Bureau. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds used her sixth condition of the state address and larger Republican majorities in the Iowa legislature to double down on and expand her push for school choice legislation. Reynolds, in her annual address to a joint session of the Iowa House and Senate on Tuesday night, outlined a new plan to devote more public tax dollars to subsidize private school tuition, stating Iowa parents need more choices for their children's education. Our first priority in this legislative session and what I will be focusing on over the next four years, is making sure that every child is provided with a quality education that fits their needs, Reynolds said. Reynolds' new proposal would devote the entire state per pupil funding dedicated to every K-12 Iowa student, $7,598, in the form of an education savings account, to students who choose to attend private school. The program would be phased in over three years, prioritizing kindergarten and low-income students in the first two years. In the third year, all private school students would be eligible for the savings accounts. Public schools would receive $1,200 for any student who opts to leave a public school district for a private school and for any student who lives in the district and attends a private school. The governor's office estimated roughly 14,000 students would be eligible for the program in the first year, which would cost the state an additional $106.9 million. Reynolds previously proposed allocating a portion of the per-pupil funding, $5,360, for 10,000 scholarships available for covering costs for attending a private or charter school. The program was proposed originally to be for low-income students only. It's a significant expansion from what Reynolds proposed last year, which failed to gain support in the Iowa House. Iowa House Republicans have pushed back on the voucher program for the past two years, over objections from rural school districts who fear the proposal would sap state aid to public schools and limit course offerings, lead to larger class sizes, and force more school consolidations. While previous so-called school choice proposals died in the House, Republican Speaker Pat Grassley has been more optimistic about some form of legislation passing this year. He formed a new committee, which he will chair, to address education policy, including private school tuition and K-12 transparency. He said that legislation will be House Republicans' top priority this session. The proposal was a major plank of Reynolds' 2022 election campaign. Reynolds also proposed allowing for more flexibility in how public schools can use their their state-provided dollars, including to increase teacher salaries. Right now, there is almost $100 million earmarked for specific programs that remains unspent in school districts across Iowa, she said. Let's focus on making sure we reward those teachers who work so hard to make a difference in our children's lives. Abortion and pregnancy. Reynolds did not outline plans for further efforts to restrict abortion in the state, but called on lawmakers to add to the $500,000 the Iowa legislature allocated last year toward funding nonprofit organizations that encourage alternatives to abortion. These organizations, often called pregnancy centers, provide services such as pregnancy and adoption counseling for expecting and new parents. Reynolds called for funding to provide nonprofit grants to assist at-risk fathers and promote paternal involvement, as well as mentorship for school-age males. 
Maisie Stillwell, Director of Public Affairs for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa, said the women's clinics have a long and documented history of misleading women and misrepresenting themselves as legitimate medical providers. Planned Parenthood, in a statement, argued Republican lawmakers who want to outlaw abortion are selling the anti-abortion centers as legitimate health care meant to support women once abortion is banned in Iowa. Republican leaders of both the House and Senate have said they plan to work on expanding the program this legislative session. Opioid deaths. The governor also proposed increasing penalties for manufacturing and distributing fentanyl, including double to triple the current sentence for fentanyl sales that lead to a deadly overdose or where a minor is present. That means longer sentences and higher fines, even where the quantity is small, Reynolds said. Recently elected Iowa Republican Attorney General Brenna Byrd has proposed legislation that would make the sale of a controlled substance not counting marijuana, resulting in death or serious injury, to be punishable by a Class B felony. Currently, there are no heightened penalties in state law if a death occurs. While Iowa maintains one of the lowest overdose death rates in the country, Reynolds said Iowa still is experiencing unacceptable trends. Streamlining government. Reynolds also proposed merging 37 executive cabinet agencies to 16. She said Arkansas, Mississippi, and Oklahoma all have populations and budgets similar to Iowa, but just 15 cabinet members each. The result is unnecessary friction for Iowans, with services spread unpredictably across state government. Eleven agencies currently operate some kind of workforce program. More than 100 professional licensing functions are spread across 11 agencies, and these are just two of the most glaring examples she said. Democrats push back. Democrats and progressives criticized Reynolds for pushing what they see as an extreme agenda they argue is unpopular and out of touch with what a majority of Iowans want, based on public polling. Every poll that we've seen suggests Iowans want fully funded public schools, Matt Sinovic, Executive Director of Progress Iowa, said during the People's Condition of the State event at the Capitol ahead of Reynolds' address. The people believe in our public schools, hard work, and that the wealthy should pay what they owe so we can invest in each other, Sinovic said. Unfortunately, the people's voice is not being represented by Governor Reynolds. Iowa House and Senate Democrats and the Iowa State Education Association, a teachers union in Iowa, say Reynolds' school choice proposal will pull critical resources from public schools and limit course offerings, lead to larger class sizes, and force more school consolidations. Connie Ryan, Executive Director of Interfaith Alliance of Iowa Action Fund, noted private schools lack the same requirements and obligations as public schools, which are required to accept all students regardless of their background and educational needs. Iowa House Minority Leader Jennifer Confers, Democrat of Windsor Heights, noted a vast majority of Iowa public schools are in rural areas with little to no access to private education. So school choice, parental choice, is a misnomer, Confers said at the Progress Iowa event. We are taking away choices from Iowa families who want to send their kids to good, strong, quality public schools. Next on today's front page, the headline reads, CR facility is pursuing $103 million expansion. City awards tax incentives to international paper by Marissa Payne. The the Cedar Rapids City Council awarded tax incentives Tuesday to international paper for a $103 million expansion of its Cedar River Mill plant the company said will keep 240 jobs in the city and create more. International Paper is looking to build a 20,000-square-foot facility to house a boiler and water treatment plant on the same campus as its current building at 4600 C Street Southwest. 
According to the city, the development will retain jobs and create seven new ones, all of which meet the high-quality wage threshold of $25.20 an hour. The proposal calls for the construction of a new building and installation of natural gas boilers and a water treatment plant for steam power to the facility. Power was previously provided through the coal-powered Prairie Creek Station, which is being closed. International Paper, a manufacturer of fiber-based products, creates packaging products and pulp for diapers, tissue, and other personal hygiene products. It has operated in Cedar Rapids since 1995. It is essential for the continuation of operations for International Paper, said Scott Maher, Scott Mather, City Economic Development Coordinator. The new building will be toward Highway 30 and C Street Southwest. Of the $103 million capital investment, $20 million will go toward building expansion and $83 million will cover machinery and equipment. The standard incentive under this city program provides a 10-year declining scale exemption of the increased value the project generates. Based on the proposed investment, the city estimates the project will generate $2.337 million in new taxes over a 10-year period, of which $961,000 will be exempt. The Iowa Economic Development Authority Board is slated to consider awarding state incentives through its High Quality Jobs Program at its January 20th meeting. The city has been in collaboration over the last several months with International Paper and the state on this proposed steam modernization project, City Manager Jeff Pomerantz said in a statement. Growing and supporting local industries is an integral part of the city's economic development strategy, and we appreciate International Paper's proposal to make this significant investment to Cedar Rapids Mill. According to the city, International Paper is among the top eight of its largest water users. City Council Member Scott Olson said it's exciting to see this investment when the city could have opted to when the company could have opted to leave the city with the Prairie Creek decommissioning. I think this is an exciting project, Olson said. What has always amazed me is how busy this place is and how much cardboard they recycle. It's really a very unique project, and the city has become a leader in this type of process. Councilmember Ashley Van Orney, who represents District 5, encompassing much of the Southwest Quadrant, said the company takes pride in its people and the safety of its workers, and she's proud of what international paper brings to Cedar Rapids. This is an anchor company to Cedar Rapids, Van Orney said, but the creation of these boxes and the foundational system that is international paper is really cool. Mayor Tiffany O'Donnell said this project serves the city's need to not only recruit new companies, but keep the businesses already located here. This project reinforces their place in Cedar Rapids, O'Donnell said. And the last item on today's front page. CR schools gain, but some students still lag. Eight schools move off list targeting students for needing support by Grace King. The majority of Cedar Rapids schools maintained or improved their Iowa School Report Card rating in the last year, with Erskine Elementary School improving by an almost unheard of two levels, according to Deputy Superintendent Nicole Kuiker. However, many of those schools also have been identified as having some historically underserved groups of students still underachieve after three years of targeted inter intervention, the school performance results show. District officials presented the data and action steps Monday to the school board as part of the Every Student Succeeds Act, a federal law that holds schools accountable for how students learn and achieve that affects all students in public schools. Schools are scored based on state assessments, academic achievement, student growth, project progress in achieving English language learning proficiency, conditions for learning survey, which gathers information about how students feel about the culture and climate of their school, graduation rate, and how prepared students are for life after high school. 
There are six categories in Iowa performance ratings. Highest to lowest, the categories are exceptional, high performing, commendable, acceptable, needs improvement, and priority. Every three years, the accountability system also identifies schools that need to make comprehensive improvements. To qualify for that designation, those schools have to receive either Title I funding and score in the bottom 5% of schools receiving those additional federal dollars or have a graduation rate below 67.1%. Seven Cedar Rapids schools continue to see groups of students identified as targeted, performing as low as the lowest 5% of schools in Iowa after three years. Those schools are Kennedy, Washington, and Jefferson High Schools, Franklin and Wilson Middle Schools, McKinley Steam Academy, and Roosevelt Creative Corridor Business Academy. The targeted subgroup of students are broken down by racial and ethnic groups, students in English language learner pro programs, students who qualify for free or reduced price lunch, and students in the individualized education program. As part of the Every Student Succeeds Act, the district is working with school improvement consultants from Grantwood Area Education Agency and the state to build action plans for the next three years to improve learning outcomes, said Cedar Rapids Curriculum Coordinator Doreen Underwood. Celebrations. While there is work to be done, district officials celebrated achievements made in the last year. Erskine Elementary, which improved its accountability by two levels, went from needs improvement to commendable in the last year. 88%, or 28 out of 32 Cedar Rapids schools, maintained or improved their accountability by at least one level. 25%, or 8 out of 32 Cedar Rapids schools, moved from a priority or needs improvement rating to acceptable or commendable. Nine schools dropped at least one demographic subgroup from their targeted status. Eight of the nine now have no targeted subgroups. 75%, or 24 out of 32, improved their overall Every Student Succeeds Act scores. Eight schools have come off the Every Student Succeeds Act designation list. Reports for every Iowa public school are available online at iaschoolperformance.gov. Moving inside the paper now, here are some other headlines. Reynolds calls for 3.3% increase in state spending. $8.5 billion state budget plan goes to lawmakers for negotiations by Aaron Murphy. The state would spend just shy of $8.5 billion in the coming budget year, an increase of 3.3% over current spending under a proposal made Tuesday by Governor Kim Reynolds. The governor's office unveiled her budget proposal as the governor also delivered her annual condition of the state address to the Iowa legislature. Reynolds will send to those same state lawmakers her proposal for the state budget year that starts July 1st. The proposal includes $107 million for a new private school assistance program and 2.5% increases in funding for K-12 public schools, public universities, and community colleges. According to the governor's office, Reynolds' proposal would leave a $2 billion unspent balance in the state's general fund budget. Reynolds' proposed spending would break down as 56.4% going to education, 26.5% to health care programs, 9.5% to the state's judicial and justice systems, and 7.6% to other areas, according to the governor's office. Reynolds also proposed boosting spending on a Republican-created program for pregnant women from $500,000 to $1.5 million. When fully operational, the statewide network of nonprofits will connect women with pregnancy support services, including safety net resources, housing assistance, and recovery and mental health treatment, Reynolds said during her condition of the state address, according to prepared remarks. One noteworthy absence from the governor's budget proposal is costs associated with reductions in property tax revenue. 
State House Republicans have pledged to address property taxes in some form this session, but Reynolds is not presenting a proposal. State lawmakers eventually will get involved in the state budget process by passing legislation. Typically, near the end of the legislative session, the respective leaders in the House and Senate will work with Reynolds staff to reach agreement on the budget. Reynolds and legislative Republicans, who have agenda-setting majorities in both chambers, allocated $8.2 billion for the current state budget year. Iowa's ethanol production sets record. Iowa continues to set the pace for ethanol production around the world by Jared Strong of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Ethanol plants in Iowa produced an estimated 4.5 billion gallons in 2022, a record for the state, according to the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. The association's estimate is based on survey data, public records, and other information. It surpasses the state's 2021 estimated production record of 4.4 billion gallons. Iowa continues to set the pace for ethanol production around the world, said Monty Shaw, executive director of the association. The attractive price of E15 and E85 drove sales during the 2022 gas price spike. Barring a recession, we expect ethanol demand to grow each year as Iowa and other states make progress in increasing access to E15, often marketed as unleaded 88. The new production on record is roughly the current total production capacity of the state's 42 ethanol plants, according to association data. The industry is an important market for Iowa farmers. More than half of the state's corn is used to produce ethanol. State lawmakers last year adopted legislation that would require the sale of blended fuels that are 15% ethanol at gas stations. E10, a blended fuel with 10% ethanol, has long been the standard blend. The new state law has exemptions for smaller gas stations and grant money to help update underground tanks and pumps to accommodate the higher ethanol blend. Federal legislation that would expand the summertime availability of E15 in many states has lacked sufficient support for years for adoption, but the country's largest trade association for the oil and natural gas industries indicated late last year it will support the idea. Jury selection starts for man accused of killing his family. Testimony may begin Thursday by Trish Mahaffey. Jury selection started Tuesday for a former University of Iowa student who told police he awoke to the sound of gunshots and struggled over a rifle with a masked intruder when officers found the bodies of his father, mother, and sister June 15, 2021. Alexander Ken Jackson, 22, is on trial this week for three counts of first-degree murder. He is accused of fatally shooting his father, Jan Perry Jackson, 61, mother, Melissa Fern Jackson, 68, and sister, Sabrina Hannah Jackson, 19, in their Northeast Cedar Rapids home early that morning. Investigators found no evidence of a forced entry or burglary at the 4414 Oak Leaf Court Northeast home, according to a criminal complaint. The complaint did indicate a possible motive by stating Jackson denied shooting his family members, but admitted his father had recently advised that he needed to find a job or move out of the residence. The trial is expected to go into next week. The potential jurors filled out questionnaires Tuesday and the prosecution and defense will start questioning the jury panels today. Testimony could begin Thursday. According to a criminal complaint, Cedar Rapids police officers were called at 8.23 a.m. June 15, 2021 to the home by Alexander Jackson, who told the 911 dispatcher he and his father had been shot by a masked male intruder. When police arrived, they found each family member with gunshot injuries in different rooms of the house, the complaint stated. Jackson told investigators he was asleep when the attack began, according to the complaint. The sound of gunfire woke him and he was shot in the foot while struggling with the intruder over a rifle. 
a 22 caliber Browning semi-automatic rifle, which police believed to be the murder weapon, was found in the house. Jackson said he and his father had left it on the fireplace after cleaning it the night before, the complaint stated. Both Alexander and Sabrina were students at the University of Iowa in the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, according to the Associated Press, and both had attended Kennedy High School in Cedar Rapids. Gazette reporter Trish Mahaffey will provide live coverage of the trial from the courtroom as soon as testimony begins. Man sentenced to 30 years for distribution of meth. Conspiring to assault a drug informant enhanced sentence by Trish Mahaffey. An old wine man who conspired with the convicted killer of Chris Bagley to assault a drug informant in the Lynn County Jail was sentenced Monday to 30 years in prison for distributing methamphetamine out of his home. Justin Michael Bueller, 39, was convicted by a jury in June of two counts of distribution of meth. According to trial evidence, Bueller distributed meth to an employee at his workplace. In January 2019, law enforcement coordinated with the employee to set up two controlled purchases of meth from Bueller's home. U.S. District Judge C.J. Williams enhanced Bueller's sentencing because he obstructed justice by conspiring with a cellmate, Johnny Blonick Church, formerly known as Drew Blonick to have one of the prosecution witnesses, Ethan Palmer, assaulted in an effort to prevent him from testifying against Bueller. Blonick Church, 35, of Marion, who is serving 57 years for fatally stabbing Bagley, 31, of Walker, in December 2018, was convicted in November of tampering with a witness and willful injury causing serious injury for the assault on Palmer. According to a criminal complaint, Blonick Church and another inmate, Gregory Sills, 49, of Olwine, followed Palmer into the bathroom in their cell pod at the Lynn County Jail on May 27th and began striking Palmer. They dragged Palmer into the main area of the cell block and continued to attack him. Palmer's injuries included a broken nose, two broken orbital bones, a torn retina, chipped teeth, and a broken knee, the complaint states. Palmer did go forward and testify at Bueller's federal trial on the meth charges. Palmer had been in jail awaiting trial on drug and theft charges out of Blackhawk and Fayette counties. CR awards $900,000 in federal aid to another four projects. Willis Dady Westside Library projects are among recipients. By Marissa Payne. Four Cedar Rapids projects were awarded $900,000 in federal COVID-19 relief dollars Tuesday, giving a boost to transitional housing for people experiencing homelessness, making the arts more accessible, creating a dog park, and a park along the Westside Public Library. Of the city's overall $28 million award, about $15.67 million has gone toward affordable housing and social services, $10 million was put toward Westside Flood Control, and $1.835 million has supported workforce initiatives. Using American Rescue Plan Act funds, the Cedar Rapids City Council doled out federal money Tuesday to additional projects. Some of the money came from $400,000 in unspent funds to replenish lost hotel-motel tax revenue to nonprofits, while the rest had not yet been allocated. Willis Dady Works. The first project is the renovation of the historic Chandler Pump Company building, 707 B Avenue Northwest, to create 13 affordable units for transitional housing for those experiencing homelessness. This is part of Willis Dady Homeless Services' Willis Dady Works program. The city awarded the requested $250,000, which will complete the final funding gap needed to complete the project, along with $100,000 in private donations. In February, the council awarded $559,703 in ARPA funds to the Employment Hub Project, a renovation of the historic McClanahan Building. Core Neighborhood Dog Park. 
In line with the council's priority to add more dog parks, the council awarded $200,000 toward the creation of a new one. Amenities such as dog parks are intended to support and attract new residential units to the urban core, downtown, the Med Quarter, Czech Village, and New Bohemia neighborhoods, where the population is growing. Westside Library and Opportunity Center Park. During the city's public outreach efforts to draft the Westdale Area Action Plan, many residents identified open space as a key need for the area's growth. The council awarded $100,000 to go toward the design of a park coinciding with the building design of the $25 million permanent Westside Cedar Rapids Public Library and Opportunity Center on 27 acres at the corner of 20th Avenue and Wiley Boulevard Southwest. Theater Cedar Rapids. Theater Cedar Rapids received $350,000 to undergo an extensive enhancement of its historic building at 102 3rd Street Southeast to make accessibility improvements. The organization aims to make the space accessible for programming and make the stage accessible for wheelchairs in an effort to give people with disabilities access to the arts and community quality of life amenities, Pratt said. Mother accuses physicians of negligence in lawsuit. Woman reports PTSD, scarring, pain, and gastrointestinal dysfunction following surgery by Vanessa Miller. A LeClaire mother is suing the state, accusing University of Iowa physicians of perforating her bowel and charring her rectum during a surgical procedure, leaving her permanently impaired and unable to care for her two sons to the same degree she was pre-surgery. Tiffany Lunsford filed a tort claim for $6 million with the state appeal board in March 2022, but officially withdrew it this month after filing a lawsuit December 27th, alleging medical negligence with sweeping consequences. To date, Lunsford continues to deal with PTSD, scarring, pain, and gastrointestinal dysfunction as a result of her bowel perforation, according to the lawsuit filed in Johnson County District Court. The issue started in 2020 when Lunsford was scheduled for a hysterectomy, ovarian cystectomy, lymph node dissection, and other procedures in response to a cervical cancer diagnosis. A UIHC surgeon, assisted by a resident and a fellow, on March 11, 2020, operated on Lunsford, who was discharged the following day. Three days later, her husband called UIHC to report significant swelling, and a physician made a few suggestions to see if that provided relief, according to the lawsuit. After two more phone calls, Lunsford came back to the university with worsening abdominal pain, discharge, and constipation. A CT scan showed evidence of a bowel perforation or a hole in the intestinal tract, and Lunsford reported in her lawsuit she was admitted for an exploratory surgery that involved an abdominal washout, among other things. The surgeon who performed that procedure told Lunsford post-operation that her rectum was so charred that he was unable to evaluate exactly where the perforation was and that it appeared as if the cautery tool was left on the rectum for too long. While in the hospital, according to the lawsuit, Lunsford said her first surgeon called and said, this is the worst thing a surgeon can hear. I am so sorry. She was discharged March 21, 2020, and three months later requested a colostomy takedown, essentially reversing the procedure due to ongoing pain and other issues. She went in for the reversal July 22, 2020, and left the hospital July 25. In her lawsuit, Lunsford accused the state, in its oversight of UIHC, of negligence for perforating her bowel, failing to realize that during the procedure or before sending her home, and failing to send her to a specialist promptly. Cyber Attack Keeps the State's Largest School District Closed by Scott McFetridge of the Associated Press. 
An apparent cyber attack on Iowa's largest school district has led officials to cancel classes for 30,000 students for a second day as technicians scramble to protect data and restore the computer system, the district's leader said Tuesday afternoon. The Des Moines School District's interim superintendent, Matt Smith, said officials received an alert Monday about a possible cybersecurity event that led them to cancel classes Tuesday and then to keep schools closed today. It wasn't clear if schools will be able to reopen Thursday or Friday, he said during a news conference. When our system is down, it impacts every aspect of our organization, Smith said, noting everything from school bus routes to lunch menus are controlled through the computer system. Smith said it wasn't clear what had happened to the computer system. It was a cybersecurity event that we can't confirm yet until we run through all of our diagnostics and all of our protocols to get the forensics back to understand that specifically, Smith said. What I can tell you is we are operating as if it is a ransomware attack, just to be sure. Smith said federal and state authorities were helping the district respond to the problem. Although there are questions about what happened, Smith said officials believe the payroll system is safe and that it's nearly 5,000 teachers and staff can be paid. The district also has restored its website, which enables it to communicate updates more easily. Recent ransomware attacks on Iowa schools include those in 2022 that hit the Cedar Rapids Community School District, the Linmar Community School District, and the Davenport Community School District. The attacks often encrypt data until business or government leaders agree to pay a fee. In Des Moines, Smith said students will ultimately need to make up the days missed this week. You are listening to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Wednesday, January 11, 2023 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. Marlene Joan Mitchell-Himes of Hiawatha ended her mission work on Earth on January 9, 2023. A visitation will be held at the Cedar Memorial Park Chapel State Room on Friday, January 13, 2023 from 10 a.m. to noon. A funeral service will be held at the Cedar Memorial Park Chapel of Memory starting at noon with Pastor Carol Mart officiating. Interment to follow at the Cedar Memorial Park Cemetery Garden of Tranquility. A luncheon will follow at Buffalo United Methodist Church. Marlene was born on February 10, 1936 to Victor and Eldred Mitchell in Richland Center, Wisconsin. She graduated from Richland Center High School in 1953. After graduating, she worked at the Edwards Clinic in Richland Center. On April 23, 1955, she married her high school sweetheart, Fred Himes, and moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa the week after. In 1958, she and Fred made their home in Hiawatha, where they have lived ever since. In 1965, Marlene started her career at the Hiawatha School Food Service, where she retired as a manager in 1998. She held many office positions in the Cedar Rapids Food Service Association and attended many national conventions. Marlene was a proud member of the Buffalo United Methodist Church, where she played the piano for over 60 years. Memorial contributions may be made in her name to Hall Perrine Cancer Center in honor of Dr. Stroh, Hospice of Mercy, and or Buffalo United Methodist Church. Condolences for the family may be left at cedarmemorial.com. John W. Grace, 55, of Tiffin, died suddenly Wednesday, January 4, 2023, at Mercy Hospital in Iowa City. A period of visitation for family and friends will be held from 2 to 5 p.m., Sunday, January 15th at Gay and Chia Funeral and Cremation Service in Iowa City. During this time, there will be an open mic and also note cards for anyone wishing to share a story, memory, or condolence. A celebration of John's life will be held at a later date to be announced. In lieu of flowers, a memorial fund has been established in his memory. 
For a complete obituary to share a memory, thought, or condolence online, please visit Gay and Chia Funeral and Cremation Service website at gayandchia.com. Douglas Craig Peterson, 77, of Garrison, died on Sunday, January 7, 2023, at Unity Point St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids. The funeral will be on Thursday, January 12, 2023, at 10.30 a.m. at the Dysart United Methodist Church. The burial will follow at Dysart Cemetery, with military rites conducted by the Dysart American Legion. The visitation will be on Wednesday, January 11th, from 4 to 7 p.m. at the Overton Funeral Home in Dysart. Michael J. Shea, the gentle giant of Cedar Rapids, laid down his working tools and went to his heavenly reward after a long illness on January 7th. Mike worked hard all his life, but his greatest priority was always his family. He was never a rich man, but in the end, his room was overflowing with family and friends who came to show their love for him. A protective father standing six foot six inches tall, Mike intimidated every boy either his either of his daughters ever dated, but accepted his sons-in-law as family when his daughters married. Mike was a master mason and longtime member of Bruce Lodge number 665. He was a visionary computer programmer who owned his own computer consulting business in the early 1980s, and he was a proponent of lifelong learning, achieving his bachelor's degree from Upper Iowa University in 1999. A visitation will be held on Friday, January 11, 2023, from 1 to 3.30 p.m. at Cedar Memorial Park Funeral Home, where a scripture service will be held at 3.30. An Irish wake will follow. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made to the Animal Rescue League, Prairie Hills Assisted Living Facility, or Westridge Care Center. Online condolences may be left at cedarmemorial.com. Bonnie Carol Bernard Fennern. 80, 85, passed away Tuesday, January 10th, 2023, at her home in Vinton, with her family by her side. Funeral services will be held at 11 a.m. Saturday, January 14th, at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, with Reverend Stephen Press officiating. Luncheon will follow the service. Interment will be held at 2 p.m. Saturday at Cedar Memorial Cemetery in Cedar Rapids. Visitation will be held from 4 to 8 p.m. Friday at the Phillips Funeral Home, 212 East 6th Street in Vinton. A memorial fund has been established. Bonnie was born September 30, 1937 at her grandmother's farm near Walker, Iowa, the daughter of Ralph and Flora Tharp Barnard. On October 13, 1962, she was united in marriage to Dean Fennern in Unionville, Missouri. Bonnie attended Roosevelt High School in Cedar Rapids and worked for many years at Collins Radio, later Rockwell Collins, and at Norand, retiring in 1988. She was a member of Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, the Jefferson Booster Club, and the Roosevelt High Alumni Group. Bonnie's, Bonnie's family members were her greatest joy, along with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Online condolences at phillipsfuneralhome.com. Elda Shine, 90, of Amana and formerly of Victor, died on Saturday, January 7, 2023, at Compass Memorial Hospital in Marengo. A funeral service will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, January 12, 2023, at James Lutheran Church in Victor. Interment will be in Victor Memorial Cemetery. A luncheon will follow at St. James Lutheran Church. Visitation will begin at 2 p.m. on Wednesday, January 11th at the Smith Funeral Home in Victor, and her family will receive friends from 5 to 7 p.m. Memorials may be designated to St. James Lutheran Church and mailed in care of the Smith Funeral Home, P.O. Box 485, Victor, Iowa, 52347. Memories and condolences may be shared with the family online at smithfh.com. 
Velma June Yeldon, 99, of Strawberry Point, Iowa, passed away on Monday, January 9, 2023, at the Edgewood Convalescent Home in Edgewood, Iowa. Online condolences may be sent to leonardmullerfh.com. Funeral service, 11 a.m. on Saturday, January 14, 2023, at St. Sebald Lutheran Church, Rural Strawberry Point, with Pastor Margaret Yackel, Julie, Margaret Yackel Uline officiating. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. on Friday, January 13, 2023, at Leonard Muller Funeral Home in Strawberry Point, and also from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. on Saturday at the church, Interment, Pine View Cemetery, Delaware, Iowa. Carlos Boyson, 84, of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, passed away peacefully January 7th at the Methwood Community in Cedar Rapids. Carlos has donated his remains to the University of Iowa for clinical research. A celebration of life will take place Friday, January 12th at 10 a.m. at First Presbyterian Church in Marion, Iowa, and to be officiated by Methwick Chaplain Christy Parker. Carlos was born August 13, 1938, in Delmar, Iowa, to Martin and Mary Irene Boyson. Carlos was highly intelligent, graduating from Delmar High School in 1955 at the age of 16. Upon graduating, Carlos dutifully enlisted in the Army Reserves. Once he completed his service time, Carlos enrolled in the American Institute of Commerce in Davenport, Iowa. From there, Carlos went to work for the Bendix Corporation, also in Davenport, before transitioning into the engineer's office for the Iowa Department of Transportation. Carlos was united in marriage on June 2, 1962, to his first wife, Joanne. Carlos and Joanne later divorced. On September 19, 1998, Carlos was united in marriage to Diane Annette Wright, of Cedar Rapids. In lieu of flowers, memorials in Carlos' memory may be made to First Presbyterian Church in Marion, Iowa, which held a special place in Carlos's heart. Dylan J. Penning, 16, of Marengo, passed away at his home on Monday, January 9, 2023. Funeral service, 10.30 a.m., Saturday, January 14, 2023, at the Iowa Valley High School, with Reverend Annie Thorne officiating. Burial will be at Mound Cemetery, Watkins. Visitation, 3 to 7 p.m., Friday, January 13, 2023, at Iowa Valley High School. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to a memorial tree in Dylan's name to be planted at Gateway Park in the spring of 2023. Closter Funeral Home, Marengo, is assisting the family with arrangements. Dylan James Penning was born December 5, 2006, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, the son of Brian and Jamie McDonald Penning. He was a sophomore at Iowa Valley High School in Marengo. Dylan was very active in sports, a competitive player while having fun doing it. He participated in basketball, football, baseball, and running track and field. In his free time, Dylan really enjoyed golfing with his friends and Coach K. Dylan had many friends and liked spending time and hanging out with them, playing Xbox and going cruising. He worked part-time at the Oxyokin restaurant in Amana. Online condolences, closerfuneralhome.com. Giacchino Jeannie Selecci, 93, of Marion, Iowa, passed away on Thursday, January 5, 2023, at St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids. He was formerly of Dubuque, Iowa, from 1974 to 2008, and prior to that, he resided in Brooklyn, New York. Visitation for Gino will be held from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Friday, January 13, at the Rye Funeral Home in Cascade, Iowa. Mass of Christian burial for Gino will be held at 11 a.m., Friday, January 13th at St. Martin's Catholic Church in Cascade, Iowa, with the Reverend Mark Osterhaus presiding. Burial will be held in Calvary Cemetery in Cascade. 
Gino was born January 29, 1929, in Palermo, Sicily, Italy, son of Giuseppe and Vincenzo Lucchesi Salici. On November 24, 1962, he was united in marriage to Josephine Serino. She preceded him in death on April 9, 2022. He was employed at the former Troush Baking Company in Dubuque, Iowa. He loved to bake and cook, garden, and was known for his homemade tomato sauce and bread. He was a very giving and selfless person. He treated his grandchildren as if they were his own. He enjoyed attending all of his grandchildren's events and spending time with family. Gino also enjoyed watching soccer, especially the Italian teams. Gino was a member of St. Joseph's Parish in Marion, Iowa. Online condolences for Gino may be left for the family at ryefuneralhomeinc.com. Jeanette Louise Morio, 43, of Hiawatha, passed away Sunday, January 8, 2023, at her home. Funeral Mass, 10 a.m. Tuesday, January 17, 2023, at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church by Father Gary Meyer. Private Burial, St. John Cemetery. Friends may visit with the family on Monday from 5 to 8 p.m. at the church and after 9 a.m. on Tuesday. Tea and Funeral Home and Cremation Service is caring for the family. Janelle was born on April 3, 1979 in Iowa City, the daughter of Richard and Carol Kluster Young. She graduated from Austin, Minnesota High School and then in 2001 from Wartburg College, obtaining a BA degree. Janelle later obtained her MBA from the University of Iowa. On October 28, 2006, she married Tyson Morio in Cedar Rapids. Janelle worked for Transamerica since 2005. She was an active member at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Catholic Church, as well as her son's Scout BSA troop. Janelle loved her cats, cooking, and spending time with her friends. Most importantly, Janelle was a loving wife and mother who cherished spending time with her boys and being involved in their activities. Instead of flowers, memorials may be directed to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital Pediatric Cardiology Clinic. Online condolences may be left at tnfuneralhome.com. Mildred Millie Ann Heyer, 83, of Cedar Rapids, went to be with the Lord on January 7, 2023. Born February 10, 1939, the daughter of the late Merrill and Ruby Finley, her husband, Donald Heyer, preceded her in death in 2009. Millie was a retired CNA OMT and a member of Twin Pines Baptist Church. She enjoyed knitting items for charities. She loved the Iowa Hawkeyes, singing, crafts, and spending time with family. A visitation will be held on January 13, 2023, 10 to 11 a.m., with a memorial service immediately following at 11 a.m. at Twin Pines Baptist Church, 95, 95 South Menser Road, Robbins. A graveside committal will, be fo will follow at 1.30 p.m. at the Cedar Memorial Park Cemetery. In lieu of flowers, memorial contributions may be made to Twin Pines Baptist Church. Online condolences may be directed to the family at cedarmemorial.com. Jane Marilyn Overman, 94, of Mount Vernon, passed away Sunday, January 8, 2023, at Living Center West in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Mass of Christian Burial, 10 a.m., Saturday, January 14, 2023, at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church in Mount Vernon. Reverend Danny Ewell will officiate. Visitation, 4 to 6 p.m., Friday, January 13, 2023, at Stuart Baxter Funeral and Memorial Services in Mount Vernon. Burial will be in the St. John Cemetery, Lisbon. Stuart Baxter Funeral and Memorial Services of Mount Vernon is caring for the family. Jane Marilyn, the daughter of Leo and Anna Young Woods, was born July 31, 1928, in the family home near Mount Vernon. She grew up in the Mount Vernon area where she attended country school. 
Marilyn graduated from Mount Vernon High School in 1945. Marilyn was united in marriage to Ray Overman on April 23, 1949 in Vallejo, California. Because Ray was in the U.S. Navy, the couple, couple spent the next 20 years living in ports up and down the coast of California. Marilyn and Ray returned to Mount Vernon in 1965, where they made their home. Marilyn worked for the Mount Vernon Public Schools in the Hot Lunch Program. She retired from the school in 1992. Memorials may be directed in Marilyn's name to St. John the Baptist Catholic Church in Mount Vernon, Southeast Lynn Food Pantry, and or Camp Courageous. Please share your support and memories with Marilyn's family at stuartbaxter.com. That concludes today's obituaries. Moving on to the editorial page, there is one letter to the editor today. It is from Ann Michael of Tama and reads as follows. Trump's next candidacy could be a scam. So Donald Trump has announced his candidacy for president again. However, there is a possibility that he, master of the fine art of scams, has no intention at all to be the next president. Indeed, he quite possibly won't even run a serious campaign. His motivation could well be only another example of his wielding his skill of raising money for himself, just an extension of activities like his charity and Trump University. Combine that motive with his adoring followers, a group who could be slapped in the face with mountains of evidence and who still refuse to believe the election was not fixed, and he has the source of money. Those adoring and gullible followers will give and give as generously as they can. This combination is an opportunity that would be just too perfect for Trump to pass up. After bilking folks for all he can, he could announce that he can't run for president because, once again, he is a victim being treated unfairly by the media. And sadly, those who contributed to his campaign will believe that, too. This scenario is a strong possibility. Time will tell. Again, that is a letter to the editor in today's Gazette from Ann Michael of Tama. There's a guest column in the paper today. It is by Nick Covington and reads as follows. The headline is, Whose Priorities for Iowa? On Monday, Priorities for Iowa, a super PAC claiming to be an Iowa-based organization, announced a six-figure ad buy in support of Governor Kim Reynolds' school voucher program. The group claims to have the interests of Iowa parents at heart, but a brief look at their donor disclosures tells us otherwise. According to OpenSecrets.org, a nonpartisan nonprofit that tracks money in U.S. politics, in 2020, the largest donation to Priorities for Iowa, $750,000, came from billionaire hedge fund manager Kenneth C. Griffin, founder of Miami-based hedge fund Citadel LLC. Griffin is one of the top 50 wealthiest individuals in the world today. Similarly, the largest donation of the 2022 election cycle came from the managing partner at Oak Hill Capital, a New York private equity firm. I would assume that most Iowa parents don't have access to the kind of private wealth that would allow them to influence the educational opportunities for parents in New York or Florida. So as an Iowa parent of public school children, I'm concerned about the outsized influence of out-of-state money on Iowa politics. I'm also wary of the interest that hedge funds and private equity firms have on desiring the tax dollars that educate all of our kids. Especially considering that as far back as 2016, the National Education Policy Center warned that the charter industry as a whole is beginning to resemble a playground for private equity. When it comes to turning a profit off of our children's education, whose programs will be the first cut? Whose buildings will close? Whose teachers will be overworked and underpaid? I hope Iowans will be smart enough to think twice about whose interests are represented in the ads you'll see promoting the governor's education bill. If you want to know who these voucher programs are made for and whose views on schooling are represented in the Iowa legislature, 
look no further than the New York and Florida hedge fund billionaires who plan on using our tax dollars to remake the Iowa education system in their image. Nick Covington is an Iowa parent who taught high school social studies for 10 years. He is also the co-founder of the Human Restoration Project, an Iowa educational nonprofit promoting systems-based thinking and grassroots organizing in education. Also on today's editorial page is a guest column by Cherry Dargan. Vouchers will harm public schools. Once, Iowans were proud of the education state. Our K-12 schools rank near the top of the nation. Since early statehood in the 1850s, Iowans built schoolhouses and hired teachers to ensure their children had a better education than they had. We valued teachers and our high school graduates ranked high in ACT-SAT testing, a predictor of academic success. Sadly, K-12 education has been under attack for the past decade as the legislature curtailed funding growth for schools and, were ranked, and we ranked number 24. Now public schools face fresh attacks by the legislature unless everyone who supports publications, public education speaks up to say enough is enough. In 2021 and 2022, the governor's voucher plan providing scholarships to K-12 students to attend private institutions failed to pass. Much of the opposition came from members of her own party who feared that vouchers would further degrade the K-12 schools in their rural districts. With about two-thirds of Iowa's mostly rural counties losing population, more small towns have lost their schools. Despite this well-founded concern, the governor chose to primary members of her own party with representatives who would support her voucher plan. The governor's proposal provides $5,360 vouchers to each student leaving a public school for a private school. With a cap of $10,000 for the first year, about $55 million would be siphoned away from the public K-12 budgets, serving only 2% of our children. Imagine the consequences for Keokuk County, which lost population in every census since 1900, and now has only three districts with about 600 students each. There are no private schools. If state subsidies for education are reduced, Keokuk's districts may have to combine, which means long bus rides for our students and higher costs for transportation. And as towns lose their schools, they lose population. The Iowa Senate is about to fast track the governor's voucher proposal to the Iowa House. If they succeed in pushing the governor's scheme through the legislature, the limit of 10,000 students will be just the start. We can't afford to allow this to happen. More money for private schools starves public schools. Ohio started a similar program with a limit of only 3,000 vouchers. The most recent numbers show 69,000 vouchers awarded with a total of $600 million taken from public school budgets. Likewise, we could see a voucher plan expand, causing public school funding to dwindle. With 42 of our counties lacking private school access, their students' options would be limited to the underfunded public schools or the online K-12 school. Parents, be advised, nothing is free. Public schools rely on public funding. The League of Women Voters of Black Hawk and Bramer counties opposes vouchers. We believe public schools are underfunded and vouchers will make matters worse. If you agree that quality K-12 education is important, please contact your legislators and urge them to oppose the governor's voucher plan. We can do better for our children and grandchildren. Sherry Dag Dargan, the author, is president of the League of Women Voters of Black Hawk and Bramer counties. And we'll spend our last few minutes on sports, starting with Iowa women's basketball. A peek ahead. Davis will be back for a fifth year. Others eligible to return as well. By Jeff Linder. No, the Iowa Hawkeyes aren't looking beyond tonight's game. That doesn't mean none of us can. So let's peek for a moment to 2023-24. 
specifically the 2023-24 roster. Coach Lisa Bluter was asked during Tuesday's news conference about the status of this year's four seniors and their availability to play a fifth year because of the 2020 COVID ruling next year. I need to talk to those guys again, Bluter said. We talked at the end of the year meeting last year about their decision if they want to come back. I do have an answer on some of them, but that answer for now will remain a mystery to the public. Here's what we know. Iowa has the maximum 15 players on scholarship this season. As a fifth-year player, Monica Chisnano, the nation's most accurate field goal shooter two years running, and a 2,000-point scorer, will exhaust her eligibility at the end of the season. Two scholarship players are coming in, Kenise Johnson-Etienne and Ava Jones. The latter will not be ready to play, at least next year, due to massive injuries sustained in an accident July 5th, two days after she committed to the Hawkeyes. So assuming no transfer portal entrances or exits, that leaves as many as 16 candidates for the 15 roster spots. Four of them are three-year starters, McKenna Warnock, Kate Martin, and Gabby Marshall. Another is Molly Davis, a senior transfer from Central Michigan. Molly is definitely coming back, Bluter said Tuesday. So that would mean that two of the other three seniors could do the same. Warnock recently went over the 1,000-point mark for her career. Martin, widely considered the glue of the operation, would actually be at Iowa a sixth year if she returns. She missed the 2018-19 season due to a torn ACL. Marshall is trying to rediscover her shooting stroke. Confidence is huge, she said Tuesday. I've struggled this year, but my teammates and coaches have done a great job of keeping me up. Iowa men's player Peyton Sanford have told each other, just keep shooting. Back to more immediate matters. Number 12, Iowa, 12-4 overall, 4-1 Big Ten, hosts Northwestern, 6-9-0-5 tonight. When you talk Northwestern, the first topic of discussion is the Wildcats' blizzard defense. They run everywhere and wreak havoc, Martin said. Bluter said the blizzard isn't that fancy. I'm probably going to get Wildcats coach Joe McCowan in a little trouble. He has marketed the defense to sell a lot of tapes and a lot of books. Veronica Burton has been the person of interest in the blizzard throughout her career, but has graduated. Now it's senior Sydney Wood. Northwestern's 0-5 Big Ten start comes with a caveat. Four of the five losses have come against ranked teams. You don't want to be the one that they beat, Bluter said. Odds are that they're going to win one soon. They are too good of a team, and Joe is too good of a coach for that not to happen. And now Iowa State women's basketball. Time for Cyclones to get creative. Loss of 6-6. Post sores mean others must step up. By Rob Gray. Iowa State women's basketball players went through a walkthrough and shoot around Monday. The Cyclones were somber and stayed, still numb to the reality that talented six foot six graduate transfer Stephanie Soares was out for the season because of a torn ACL sustained in Sunday's 82-79 loss at number 19 Oklahoma. Then Soares showed up in the gym and every player flowed toward her. Steph wanted me to tell the team the prognosis, so I did, said ISU head coach Bill Finelli, whose 15th-ranked team faces Kansas, Kansas State 12-4-1-2 at 6.30 p.m. today at Hilton Coliseum. And we were out shooting and just kind of, like I said, everyone was just kind of walking around. It was like the walking dead or something, just weird. I'm not smart enough to even explain it, and then when Steph walked into the gym and they were shooting, they all just ran over to her. They love playing with her, but they love just being around her. And that does it for today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Wednesday, January 11, 2023. I'm your reader, Janet Griffith. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening. <music>